Hey, welcome to Knowles 24-7's On The Bench Podcast. Guys, catch that? On The Bench Podcast? What do you think, fellas? Yay. I love it. All right. I like the energy here on a Monday morning, guys. This is the podcast formerly known as the Knowles 24-7 Podcast. We're now On The Bench Podcast, and uh, it's something that we've been talking about doing for about a month or so now, and I'm excited about it. I think... The other guys are excited about it, but I'm not really getting that vibe right now. But uh, it's a name that I think fits kind of our personality. For those of you who've listened to the podcast since the beginning or just are on the Knowles 24-7 message board, uh, you know that, that on the bench is a uh, a common theme for us, especially for Chris Snee, who, who more or less lives on the bench. Uh, Josh rents space on the bench, and I occasionally show up to drop off the guy's sandwiches, but they're always on the bench outside of FSU's football offices. And it's kind of an ode to uh, – to us being a group of guys who are kind of always around and working hard and or at least semi working hard, some more than others. Right, Chris. Right. You're the hard worker. Um, so yeah, we changed the podcast name. So hopefully it's not a whole lot of confusion, but I like it. I like on the bench. Thanks guys for, for all of you who weighed in on the new podcast name. Uh, Danella Noel is going to get a free month. I think we've got to set that up sometime soon for, for him suggesting on the bench. But anyways, we are now on the bench podcast either presented by Knowles 24-7, whatever. This has become self-involved. Moving on. We have <laughs> we have a lot to get to today. Uh, we're actually going to do two podcasts in one day. Uh, we'll do one now recapping the NFL draft and going over some big picture items because initially we wanted to only talk a little bit about the NFL draft. Uh, but as it became clear that that there were some, some systemic issues that were coming from the pre-draft process, process wrote on it more and researched it more, more. This was something that we wanted to discuss and more of an open dialogue on the podcast. So uh, we're going to spend this podcast on NFSU's uh, you know, draft recap, essentially, and then we'll talk about a uh, uh, essentially all recruiting for another podcast that we'll do later on uh, this evening or maybe first thing on Tuesday morning. But anyways, fellas, let's uh, let's get started here on FSU's draft, and we'll recap the weekend. Chris, I'll kick it to you. Uh, Brian Burrs goes 16th overall. Demarcus Christmas goes in the sixth round. That's it. What do you think about the landing spot for, for both those guys? I think it's a very good fit, especially for Brian. It was pretty clear that Carolina kind of keyed in on him early in the process. He's obviously got some ties there with his older brother having played and been drafted for, by the Panthers. Um, I, they need a speed rush end. They need a guy that can pressure the passer. It's kind of a ready-made thing for him to walk in and contribute in some form or fashion. And I think it's also good for him that he's there with two really good former Knowles. Everett Brown's part of the personnel department now for the Panthers. Everett also played there, so obviously very familiar with the organization. I know that he already reached out to Brian and Graham Gano, one of the best guys to ever walk through the hallways at FSU as far as just personality and being a really good dude. He's also there, so I think that will help. I think anytime that the village is there to help raise a young man, it's always a good thing. So I think for Burns, he, it was pretty much as good as it can get. And I think the reaction of him and his family kind of showed that not only is it a great moment to get drafted, but I think they were extremely ecstatic with where he landed in the situation he's being put into. Josh, do you have a thoughts on, on you having covered Burns and throughout the recruiting process, I guess, how he's evolved and, and what he'll be at the NFL level? Do you have any way to project that or how you think he'll be? Yeah, throughout the draft, I think I kind of watch it as if I'm still a recruiting analyst. I don't really uh, pay too much attention to the NFL or like Chris said, like, is it a good fit? I mean, hell, he's rushing the passer. You put Brian Burns on any defensive line and let him pin his ears back. It's a it's a good fit, but like 
I just think back to this one time when I was covering Brian Burns, first time I ever interviewed him um, in person before his senior season. After the game, he was just in tears, like he was crying. He couldn't stop crying. His grandfather had just passed uh, a couple days before the game, and it was a big one. They went to IMG to play them on the road, and he had an awesome game. I think he had three or four sacks, and he was just a he was a complete difference maker. And he's bawling his eyes out because he didn't know um, if he wanted to play football anymore. Like he was so broken up with his grandfather passing, but he knew he needed to play. He knew he, his grandfather would want him to. And I think when you look at a lot of the talk during the draft is like, did this guy live up to the hype? Did that guy live up to the hype? Um, I just think back to that day and I think back to why Brian Burns plays the game. And it was because of his passion and because of his love. And he wanted to uh, make the people around him uh, put them in a better position. It was just you could tell when he was crying, he just had all this on his shoulders that he was carrying. And um, to see him be become a first round draft pick, you know, he lived up to all the hype that we expected. He was the. Uh, the fifth ranked weak side defensive end in the country and the 46th best player overall. So he was, he was one of those guys where we identified him early that, Hey, he's one to watch. He's going to be a difference maker. And he came in, he just did that. And uh, I think he's going to do the same in the NFL. I think he's going to make an impact. I had an anecdote on Brian Burns. I wanted to share, but I don't think it's going to top Josh's. So uh, DeMarcus Christmas goes in the sixth round. I wasn't sure if he was going to get drafted or not. He was someone who was a three-year starter, Fairly productive at FSU, but never really turned into the dominant player. I remember Jabo Fisher saying that he thought DeMarcus was one of the best players in the country, and he was ranked in like the 100s, uh, but thought he was underrated because of uh, maybe he was someone who didn't go to a lot of camps. He just DeMarcus has always been a homebody. That's always kind of been who he is uh, throughout. I guess as a recruit at the college level, he just kind of keeps to himself. So he's someone that had high expectations, and we saw some glimpses of some really impressive athleticism. Uh, but it, it never really manifested in a ton of production at the college level. So he goes in the sixth round in a pretty good situation in a defensive scheme that I think really suits him well. And a team that's revamping their defensive line. Right, for sure. And, you know, they have a couple of good young defensive tackles, but Jerron Reed's one of them who I think his contract ends up ends this year. So they'll determine whether they want to keep him or not. And that may, you know, allow them to give a guy like DeMarcus reps to kind of see if he's someone who could be a rotational piece for a while whether they want to invest in resigning their current guys. So, yeah, it's a good fit. Um, that's it, though. There's only two guys, and we're going to get into some of the the facts, and I think the reason why we're doing this podcast in a minute or two here, uh, and that's the lack of guys who are drafted this year. But real quick, the undrafted free agents that we know of right now, wide receiver Nyquan Murray, Seattle Seahawks, defense alignment Walvinsky Ame, Seattle Seahawks. Seattle must have scouted FSU quite well. I remember they brought in Pew last year, too. Pew, Pew. So they're, they're clearly a team that kind of watches FSU closely from a scouting department standpoint. Derek Kelly, New Orleans Saints, and then Fred Jones, uh, New York Jets. So. And apparently somebody on the O-line at New Orleans is also an FSU, like pays attention. Rick Leonard, I don't Derek Kelly, two years in a row. I'm just saying it seems kind of weird that yeah. uh, it could be completely coincidental. I don't know. I don't know who is in that scouting department that would have a tie to FSU or an interest in FSU, but it just seems weird to me that that is where Derek Kelly ends up. If someone stood on the table to take Rick Leonard in the fourth round, they're no longer working for that said organization. <laughs> <laughs> That's at least they shouldn't be. Um, Rick's no longer with that organization. No, is he with anyone right now? Uh, he bounced around last year. I believe he ended up with the Rams and got released by them. Or like, and I want to say he ended up with squad. the Cardinals. Yes. Yeah. I think he's with Arizona currently. All right, so I think that gives us a good segue into an issue that presented itself. Did you mention Fred with the Jets? Yes, I did. Okay, I'm sorry. I didn't oh, know that's if I fine. cut that's you fine. off prior to you actually. No, that's okay. 
Uh, and Jacques Patrick not anywhere, which is a little surprising that you can get yeah. like a UDFA. But you know, wow. but okay, so that's what I See, want to talk about. Hold on. I want to talk about like we say it's a little surprising. We say it's a little bit surprising that he didn't get he didn't become an undrafted free agent based on what we saw um, right. through his NCAA career. But like we've known Jacques Patrick. I was thinking about this this morning. We've known Jacques Patrick for eight years. Yeah. Jimbo Fisher offered him as a freshman. Um, he was six foot two, like 180 pounds. Uh, I know me and Chris were introduced to him through some of our contacts in the Orlando area and told like, Hey, watch out. This kid is going to get an offer, um, soon. And he comes up to camp and didn't, did Jimbo offer him in the spring or in the summer that year? I believe it was during a spring visit. I know little brother was with him. I want to say it was actually the spring game that year. Javante Seabury, right? Uh, I don't know if it was Seabury or not. I I think it might have been Peter. Peter? Okay. Yeah. (laughs) Javante came up with him many times up here, Mm -hmm. but I think that initial time was him, his mother, and Peter Hayes Patrick. So he put a picture on his Twitter recently, actually, of that day. FSU was the first offer, if I'm not mistaken. And he liked FSU a great deal. He he sought out that offer. Go ahead, Josh. I remember every summer he would kind of be, I mean, he had that shotgun seat on Jimbo's uh, cart locked down. If if (laughs) Jacquez Patrick was on campus for, for any year of his recruitment, he had that shotgun seat on, on Jimbo's cart lockdown. I mean, that Jacquez Patrick was like the quintessential, like Jimbo recruit from beginning to end. And so my question to you guys is he was the third ranked running back in the country. He was a 39th ranked player overall. Um, what happened? What, where did we go wrong or what happened with him? Well, I, well, I think senior production killed him. I mean, he ran behind a crappy offensive line. The production wasn't very good and that probably didn't help his case. I don't think it's a personality defect. We all know him fairly well, and he's a very well-rounded, good young man. He's got a good work ethic. He puts it in. Um, you know, I just I think it's a matter of there's guys who have been more productive than him who kind of fit the NFL running back style a little bit more. I think it's fair to say Patrick's running style is something that would have to be fine-tuned to some degree, especially at the next level, especially so, to preserve him for some you know deal of time where he wouldn't get himself into an injury-prone situation. But he's someone who does a lot of things well, too. Like, I think that's worth noting. Like, he catches the ball out of the backfield well. He had really good, uh, really good grades in pass protection throughout his career. So he does, like, little things well, too. That's why Josh, I say, is surprising because he's someone who did a lot well. Maybe nothing great, uh, but actually had good numbers overall in college despite a down senior season, was never dominant. But he did a lot of things well, and he was a former top-ranked recruit. So I think so that's did all we miss, though? Did we, I mean, obviously we missed if you just go by results, but well, do you think we missed something coming out of high school? No, no, he was ultra productive in high school. He showed production in college. He was capable of it. I think that if the production was there in college, uh, that would supersede the issues that teams have with him. What did he run? What did he run for his, his he didn't junior run season? No, oh, no, no, I'm his sorry. junior season. Um, no, we'll get, into, we'll get into the athletic t- testing in a bit. I don't remember exactly, but I mean, okay. he, he's a prime example of a guy who, you know, Akers is a more talented, more NFL type running back than him, which is why I think we've seen Akers kind of take over that role in the last two seasons. But at the end of the day, Patrick's a guy that if he ran the ball with positive results, he would have had a look because people would say, oh, he's got some and this is a poor comparison i don't feel this way but he's got some derrick henry to him the bigger build 
the bigger body. Now, he doesn't run like Derek. He's very different than Derek. I'm not trying to say they're anything like. I'm just saying that NFL teams tend to try to pigeonhole guys to slight degrees. Mm-hmm. I think with Patrick is that that's where the pigeonhole is and that he didn't have results that even compared to what that guy produced. Um, I have in front of me, and I, I did do a story on it. We don't have to get too in-depth on it unless you guys want to, but it was basically looking at the athletic testing for every single draft-eligible scholarship player from FSU's class this year. Jacquez Patrick, based on running backs in the NFL and how they tested either in the combine or the you know, pro days, you know, leading up to their NFL careers, he would have tested in what would be the 2.1 percentile. Which is bad. Which is bad. Yeah, yeah. you want higher per- yeah. percentile. You want to be 70s, 80s, 90s. I mean, if 50%, 50% is average. That's an average NFL, which isn't a phenomenal athlete based on any other result. 2.1 percentile, I think, speaks volume. So that opens up another question. If he's testing that poorly, but he's producing adequately at the college level throughout his career, like what's the disconnect? I, I think he's just not a natural running back. Like the the way the style he runs, the way he runs, the way his body mechanics work, it's not the natural flow that you expect of a running back. John, jo, are you thinking that we missed on the evaluation process, like twenty four? But that was part of the evaluation. People spoke about that as a prospect, but his production at the high school level and what he showed on the field, the way he found results with those body mechanics and all those things I mentioned were there. So I think people looked at the production and believed that that would continue at the next level, which it did to some degree, but it obviously fell off later in his career. I think people thought that would continue and the production would be good enough to overcome those things that we look at as well, you know, weaknesses of his game. No, I don't think we missed in the uh, evaluation. I mean, this thing went down to FSU Alabama all the way to the end. If, do I think John Quest Patrick's career would have played out differently at Alabama? Yeah, absolutely. Um, coming in here with all the problems that he had, a, a change in head coach, um, maybe a downtrend just within the program in general, and then to couple the the hard facts that you got, um, I think he came in and you know this just this just this whole situation just didn't benefit him. He went through a lot, and he's a great kid, and he. And I think he tried to make the best of it. And he even tried to stick it out and come back for one more year to, to really grind it out and prove, but, you know, running behind that offensive line and, and, and with the problems that they had on offense in general, I don't think he had much of a chance to uh, make an impact last year. I think that's what we want to get into. And that's what we want to talk about today. This wasn't an issue solely on Jock West Patrick. I think he's a poster child because he's someone who came in to FSU, did things the right way, was ranked high. Uh, those are usually things that get you drafted or at least a contract yeah, he, right away. He didn't blow it up himself like Correct. so many highly ranked guys do. And he was actually thought of highly. Like, right. for example, Nooning Murray was the lowest ranked player in his class. Mm-hmm. So him making it is somewhat exceeding the expectation to a slight degree. Well, Patrick, obviously underwhelming to the expectation. Right. And, and but it's not just Jock West Patrick. No. And we go down the list of guys and who are in this draft class and it's not a ton of early entries. And, and I think we should maybe circle back around by the end of the podcast and maybe I'll ask you, Chris, to pull up on your computer to look at the 2015 signing class in 2016 and just look at how those have resulted in getting guys into the NFL. There is a direct correlation with winning and going pro. And we talked about that or sorry, winning and getting drafted. And we talked about that a little bit in the last podcast. David Hale put out a good tweet on that earlier today, or I guess yesterday at this point. But it's not an issue that was just solely Jock West Patrick, like as far as your 
you replicating your recruiting ranking that turning into college production and that then turning into NFL production. Like he's not the only one who, who missed there. Um, AJ Westbrook was a four star recruit, not a highly rated one, uh, but someone ends up testing fairly well. Ran no, a four, it was five, a three composite. He was, was a three star. star? Okay. Yeah. He was an 87. All right. Um, but he's someone who's still, well, let's see. We he got lived him. up. He lived, he directly lived up to expectations. I mean, a three star player is somebody that contributes, possibly starts, and so then he lives, so we can say uh, it's fair that he lived up to. Well, let's go down and the guys. A, hold on, and then we talked about this on the last pot. And then is a late round, sixth, seventh round pick or an undrafted free agent. So like that's what happens when you recruit these kids um, that fall within this three star range. Is this is typically what they turn out to be? But he didn't even turn out to like he hasn't been an undrafted free agent. No, but I mean, he had the career arc at Florida State of exactly what I would expect of a three star prospect. Okay, uh, so then like and, Murray. And he probably will be picked up. I mean. Just because he hasn't been picked up in like the hours after doesn't mean that he's any less of a player. There's there's good reason for some of these guys waiting a couple of days. Trust me. Yeah, that right. They'll, one, they'll get practice. It doesn't mean any, stuff. it's not done. Yeah, one thing to share on undrafted free agents that people may not understand about the process. A lot of times, guys will say they signed. That's kind of a, a false lead. Mm-hmm. It's more more often than not, it's a tryout. It's Try a out. rookie camp invite tryout. It's essentially you're getting three days. You might get kept. You may be back for more OTAs, things of that sort. But in a lot of cases, they're bringing in a lot of bodies, and that number is going to keep getting depleted and keep getting cut down. And the average team, I I would have to look this up. I would presume the average team probably keeps three to six undrafted free agents per year. Do you think that's probably a fair estimation? Yeah, Uh, I'd say that. It probably gets cycled into more than that by the end of the actual season. It probably starts off with that, but you talk about guys coming up from practice school and stuff. It probably doubles or triples by the end of the year. But, yeah, that's – But they probably start out with ballpark of 15 to 30. Right, right. Because because they're filling a roster out to 90 and sometimes even a little bit more than 90 because of injuries to get to camp. Mm -hmm. A lot of these guys are truthfully just camp bodies. Bodies, They're to take reps, keep the veterans from getting beat up, and once in a blue moon, it's about trying to find some talent that went un – unfarmed but you know for every guy that we're talking about who i don't i don't expect on an nfl roster last year there's undrafted free agents like a greg dorch from wake forest who i think might end up on a roster hamp cheevers from bc maybe cc jefferson from florida those are a few that come to mind of guys i think have an outside shot of making a roster where i think it's going to be a long shot for most of fsu's undrafted guys so as we look down the list of other guys who were in that draft class, Alec Eberly. Uh, what was he, a four-star recruit? I believe so, because some outlets overranked him. Yeah. And that that's not revisionist history on my part. That is me remembering him as a recruit, watching him at events, and wondering why the hell some people thought he was a top 250 guy in the country. He just wasn't to me. He was undersized. He lacked some strength. Some of the issues that prevailed for him throughout his playing career were abundantly evident with him as a recruit. But FSU thought he was he a He actually, top, from a, a composite standpoint, he was only a three-star. He was an 87. Okay, so we were lower. But if I recall, him. at one point, one outlet, I believe it was Rivals, had him in their top two. They had him as like a top I don't know where center, he finished with them. But I know when he camped at FSU, and I watched him struggle a great deal at FSU's camp that year, he was ranked very highly by that outlet, and I just I found it kind of dumbfounding. But like FSU thought he was a legitimate, like they were. Oh, happy Trickett with loved him. him. So Trickett, yeah. so here we're going to start getting into I think some issues, uh, things that we've talked about before, things that we've written on before, things that I admittedly was slower to 
catch on to during my time covering the team. And Josh has talked about this before too, is like Jimbo bought himself, Jimbo Fisher bought himself so much leverage because of how much he won and how he proved to be a great evaluator uh, that we didn't really question at the time when they were taking guys that maybe looked like reaches or guys weren't developing as quickly as we would like. But you know, looking at the, I think there's about a dozen guys here that were in this draft class. A lot of them are redshirt seniors, which usually lends itself to if you're there for a fifth year, you're probably not as talented. Um, but but even the underclassmen or the sorry, just the pure seniors, uh, not a lot of talent, NFL level talent. Like, and you look at it through the athletic testing that I mentioned earlier. Brian Burns is the only one that was in the uh, an upper echelon percentile. He was like in the 99th range. Like he's a but free. Yeah, I mean the the numbers. I don't think you need to look at the percentiles to to look at you know the production on the field either. Those those guys that were up in the high percentiles were the ones that were the difference makers on the field. I mean, we could have watched the season to know that half these guys were going to be drafted. You know, that right. had no shot yeah. of being drafted. But so that course, that's an issue too. Is is yeah, you don't need the numbers to say that those guys weren't great players, but all those guys that we're looking at, Arthur Williams, A.J. Westbrook, Derrick Kelly, Jonathan Vickers, Demarcus Christmas, Alec Everly, Nyquan Murray, Jock Patrick, Fred Jones, Wally Ame, and then Brian Burns, all those guys were starters for multiple years or key contributors? To so, me, so these, uh, you're talking about non-NFL-level guys littering your roster as upperclassmen. Yeah, like somebody's got to play. That, that's, that's an issue. <laughs> but that's also, yeah, it's an issue. Goes, that's why they won five games. Well, and there, and there we go. It also goes back to development. To. It also goes back to development because you can take three stars and some will hit, some will miss, but a few should develop into more than you expect. And what FSU, there hasn't been a whole heck of a lot of that in recent years. I, to me, the 2014 class, we were talking about old classes and you brought up 15, 16, but 14 to me kind of defines the whole point. It's a human ping pong match where one's a good swing and the other one's a bad swing. Top player, Delvin Cook, good. nailed it. Ermon Lane, number two. Miss. Wow. Yeah. Travis Rudolph, undrafted, yeah, yeah, yeah. but has a career going on in the NFL. Jacob Pugh, basically no. And I like Pugh a lot. Kane Dobb, completely nothing. Derek Naughty, very good NFL player, currently a starter in a very good situation. And Roderick, three years of starting from him. So. Roderick Johnson, been hanging on to NFL rosters, may finally get a shot this coming year. It's probably a make or break for year for him. For he started three years at FSU. That was a good take. Demarcus Christmas, we just saw taken in the sixth round. Trey Marshall hanging on in the NFL, doing well. Delvin Purifoy, injuries kind of kept that from even being a conversation. Javon Harrison, out of school. Chad Mavetti, injury or health issue that didn't allow him to continue playing football. Lorenzo Featherson. Injury. Boop, nothing. Right. He was, yeah, yeah he, but he never yeah. contributed a damn thing in an FSU uniform. J.J. Constantino, that, that's a, an example of a horrible ranking. Corey Martinez, four-star, didn't even play football this year, decided to move on to a more professional manner where he could make good money. Good for him. Maven Saunders, I believe the Browns picked him up on their uh, undrafted free agent class. Uh, through Kansas, technically. Yeah. Rick Leonard, we talked about already. Alec Eberly is there. Those two were both three stars, very high three-star offensive linemen. Kareem R. made the league. Ryan Izzo with Pats currently. Vickers not going to play pro ball. Rubo, I believe I saw somebody say he ended up an undrafted free agent out of Toledo. Uh, Malik Jackson ended his career at Bethune. Derek Kelly, Saints. Torres never played it down here, which is still the most Improbable. incredible thing ever because he lasted five years somehow. Ethan Frith quit the team. Arthur Williams, not going to be an undrafted free agent guy. Fred Jones with the Jets. Stephen Gabbard, who was a long snapper. So that class to me, like you look at it and it's like, man, like, oh, man, Delvin Cook, great. You know, Rudolph, good college player, a pro. 
But, you know, you take that top 10, it's very much a, like, it's what, six and four, six on the good side, four on the bad side. You need your top 10 to nail it. Like, go, yeah. go to the next class if you yeah, want. Yeah, I was going to say, Chris, I'd, I'd much rather take the ping pong of 2014 to the uh, complete flat line after Derwin James, really. I, I agree right. completely with Josh. And, and when you just so our, our it's not a complete flat line after James because ah, no, Sweat's next. So, so let's not undersell Sweat. But, but he is really right after that. But but really, really just so our listeners understand this, the names that you're going to mention that get drafted, there's only going to be three of them. Uh, the first two you're going to mention are athletic freaks that tested out amazing. And I think they would have been athletic freaks no matter where they went. So if we're keeping in with the context of some major development issues, go, go ahead, Chris. So 2015 class, top to bottom. One's Darwin James, you know, going to be an all-pro with the Chargers. Two's Josh Sweat getting a shot with the Eagles, making somewhat of an impact on a very deep defense. Well, it was a fourth-round draft. But, but I still believe Josh Sweat was more so drafted off of still potential than he was off of what he did in college. I mean, he Absolutely. was not – yeah, he, he, he didn't have the impact of even Derwin James in college. He had he had some decent he had some decent numbers, but Josh was a decent. good college player who came off a catastrophic injury coming who in. Still is being, who still was drafted based off of maybe he'll make it back. You know he's still six five two forty. Right, but, if he, but if he's he not were, a five star player. You know he never played as one, and I don't think he, if he was if he didn't have those measurables and the potential, I don't think he'd be in the NFL right now. But he does have the measurables. I mean, that's, you know. And we're also dealing with three-year sample size where year one, the fact I got anything out of him to me is still an amazing thing. Right. Knowing the injury he had in high school. He just didn't have a huge impact at Florida State. All right. So continuing on in that class, after Sweat, who's the number two player in that class for FSU, Tavares McFadden ended up being a practice squad guy. You know, he's hanging around the league still right now, but still a practice squad type guy. But T-Mac, I mean, that was a T-Mac was a surefire NFL-type kid coming out of high school in most mm-hmm. people's view and certainly didn't live up to that. George Campbell did next to nothing as a Seminole now at Penn State. Patrick's next up in that class. Following Patrick is DeAndre Francois. Then Abdul Bello, another fine example of a poor evaluation and ranking by services and by FSU, but definitely by services. He's ranked as the number four offensive tackle in that class, and he'll probably never start a game in college. Next up, Devontae Phillips. Bye. Uh, next up, Marcus Lewis left the school. Darvin Taylor. I remember injuries. him. <laughs> what, Josh? The Marcus Lewis name hit me weird. I, I haven't heard <laughs> that one in a long time. He was a late addition. I, I, yeah, that was uh, everybody was fired up about that one. Sorry, go ahead. Next up, Darvin Taylor injuries kept they, him from doing They were it. calling him LaMarcus Joyner. Like, players were saying they reminded him of LaMarcus Joyner, and then he came out and uh, was really the embodiment of that 2016 season as far as failed expectations. And anyway, sorry, continue. Chris. He got put in a washer way too often he, playing nickel and such on and Tate next up. He, he, got, know, he's he a, got drafted he's right? in the seventh league. round. Now I want to, I want to uh, flex for a minute because I stood on the table for Auden Tate and I always said, I never agreed with George Campbell's ring. He always said Tate was better. Campbell and I always said Auden Tate would have a more productive career at Florida state than George Campbell. And you know, it wasn't, it wasn't anything, uh, too much to write home about. I think if he stayed another year, we'd be talking a whole lot more about Auden Tate, but I can understand his reasons for getting out of there. And he would have had a big junior season had he stayed healthy. He had the shoulder yeah. injury that was nagging, but yeah, he showed some I good job, understand. Josh. He made the right decision by going pro, but he, I, uh, you know, the, what do you think happened, Chris? Everybody fell in love with George Campbell's size and speed for, and just would ignore the fact that he wasn't real sure-handed. I'm well, it was funny that. with George because every time somebody talked about him, that's the exact conversation. Man, he's so fast. He flies. He gets on the field. He can get behind defenses. But he kind of fights the ball. 
That was always a conversation right. with him. And Not a real that is literally basketball. George plus injuries in college. His teammate, uh, was it Artavis Scott? Yeah, Tay-Tay. He was much more natural yeah. as a receiver and was much better college wide receiver. He didn't have the athletic. I believe he left Clemson is their all-time reception leader. It <laughs> might have been there were some people that thought George could be a really good safety, and I get it from an athletic standpoint, but I didn't think he was particularly the physical being that you would need to be to be a safety. So I never understood that. But the athleticism was there. He oozed it. But to be a receiver, you need to be good at receiving. And that was sort of George's issue was that he was very inconsistent with regards to that. And in his NFL or I'm sorry, college career at FSU, he couldn't stay healthy enough to even show whether or not he had overcome. Yeah, you can't practice. So that's one of those knocks that hasn't gone away because he simply hasn't stayed healthy enough. And I think I speak for Josh. I know I speak for myself. We like George a ton. George is fantastic to talk to. He's great to deal with. And he is a hardworking dude. The injuries have stunk. He's been you know, distraught to some degree with the fact how much he has not been able to get on the field because of injuries. And, yeah, but that is the matter of the course. In that class, he will be, for FSU, a bust. Yeah, and I'll just say this, you know, before we get off the George Campbell topic, um, he comes from a kind of a rough upbringing, uh, family life at home and all that, and he – He's going to be the first one in his family to get a degree. Not only is he going to – he got his degree from FSU, but he's going to go on to Penn State and and more than likely get another degree. Um, So in that aspect, uh, you know, he's done everything right. Like like Chris said, I I know George is disappointed with his career and a lot of it's out of his hands. Um, And I'd say a lot more of his – you know, the the reason he's a bust is due to injury than skill. But it was always weird coming out where – he was local to me, you know, George Campbell's 30 minutes up the road and I would see him more than anybody. And they wanted to force this five-star thing. And I was always the one that saying like, hold on, hold on, hold on. Where are you guys going with this? Just wait a second. And it was like, they just wanted to push him through as, as a five-star. And I think a lot of that was because, um, the other, the other services were doing that without watching him a whole lot. So I think we had a reason to put him up there, but, um, it was unfortunate. But keep going. There was a lot of injuries in this class. Yeah, that's that's become a common theme, too. The next three are all four-star guys, according to the composite, even though they're right. Two of them are right there on that line. Actually, all three of them are right there on that line of being a high three-star. Shamar Kilby Lane. Snuck under a fence. Calvin Bruton. Um, quit just the team. quit midseason. And Lorenzo Phillips. One year of nothingness. Weird eligibility deal. Yeah. Then next up was DeAndre Johnson. Through the you know cleanest-looking punch on bar video I've ever seen. Keep going. It's the cleanest bar video ever. Yeah, he decked a, a woman in the face. Yes. But anyways, DeAndre booted from the university. David Robbins left the team due to concussions. Uh, I think that, it was um, just during the Willie transition. There yeah, I think it was well. also somewhat okay. banged his head a couple times. Um, I'm not 100% sure, but I think he quit football basically for that reason. Dinged, right. his, dinged his head. Next up, A.J. Westbrook. Then your favorite feature, Jalen Wilkerson. Wilkerson. Wilkerson, sorry. And then Cole Minshew, and we wrap up with Nooney Murray as the last player. Cole has had a lot of injury issues, too. Yeah. Jalen did as well. So, yeah, that class has been very much, you know, productive guys in that class, I guess. Auden Tate. Three guys drafted in that class. Patrick. Cole Minshew is the last one. Sweat. James. So, five guys, six guys, five guys, five guys, six guys. It was, a, it was a smaller guys. class. I think it was Six 20. guys in that class have truly contributed. Cole Minshew, we can throw in there, make it seven. 
But and the issue, the real issue is there's just the, the lack of stars. I mean, after yeah. doing James, there's there's no real true impact stars in that class. Right. Chris is saying those are guys who are well, contributing. Well, other than James and Sweat. Yeah, I agree. But Especially even, James. But even then, Sweat was fine, but he wasn't anyone that scared anyone. Scared he any wasn't a Brian Burton. Opponent. And McFadden started for two years, but he got worse his junior year. So are, you, are they missing on evaluations, recruiting poor players, or failing to evaluate? For me, it's more to last than any of the first two because other schools wanted a healthy amount of those kids. Right. And those are productive schools that are having success on the field. Now, there are some guys, the David Robbins of the world, where FSU reached on him. He was their guy. They liked him. He wasn't as appealing to others. But there's plenty of others that other schools want. For example, Patrick, who we spoke about earlier. Going back, I think it's development. I mean, it's, it's all of it to some extent yes. or another. And I think we, there's varying degrees of which one. But going back to those athletic testing, like I know I'm harping on that. But that to me, like. Guys at Valdosta State shouldn't be outperforming Florida State players with the strength, you know, the nutrition that you get, the strength program you should be getting at Florida State. Like that should be a built-in advantage at a major Power Five football program, and that wasn't happening. So somewhere amongst the lines, and and people want to start blaming. Okay, is it you know recent with with Willie this past year? I don't think so. I think this is a long systemic issue that that started with after the championship season where they started losing control of the strength and conditioning program. Vic Valoria got an off-field issue, wasn't really held accountable. I think that did not help at all in terms of getting guys to be consistently at workouts. I think you questioned the actual development of guys through X's and O's and having some lame duck coaches on the staff, or not even lame ducks. They weren't guys who were going to be fired. Just There were a lot of issues that kept manifesting and building and building, and I think it all leads to really shitty production and development. Right? Yeah, they weren't very good. <laughs> yeah. Uh, Thanks, guys. I was hoping Josh would not say anything. You just get really uncomfortable and worrisome very quickly. That's what I was hoping. Well, I mean, I, we've broken it down a hundred different ways. They're not very good. Do we want to do 2016 since that class is still very much in flux? I looked at it, Chris. It's pretty ugly. Yeah, let's let's do it it's real quick so we get an idea. No, there's, you know, it lacks the top end. We can do it real quick. Perfect. It just lacks the top end. This is by ranking as recruit top player in that class, number seven in the country, Levante yeah. Taylor. Yep. Landon Dickerson up next hasn't stayed healthy. Injuries. Baby on Johnson finally getting a shot at center. Brian, Injuries, Brian Burns, big hit, it. number forty six in the country. You know, went sixteen in the NFL draft. He exceeded those expectations. Um, and some, I believe, some had Burns ranked higher than others. His I want to say his composite's lower than I believe 247 ended up with him. I'm pretty sure we were very high on him. Is that? You, uh, 24 right 7 had him as a five star. Yeah, okay. That's what I thought. So that's a good example. But hey, for, for every time we can pat ourselves in the back, we bring up the next name, Malik Henry. Currently Ooh. a walk on at Nevada if he's still there. He had Lyme disease or something. Mm, like that. Okay, sure. I could get Malik on the pod if we wanted to. Let's do it. Save it for the roll up, Newberg. <laughs> I think it would be great on here. <laughs> Next up, J-Rob, still very much to be determined. Dontavious Jackson is next, has been a good player for FSU. Yeah. Keith Gavin, four-star, number 17 receiver Jimbo in the country, Fisher 113. told us record that he was the number one wide receiver in the country. That has not materialized at all. Pup Upshur is next up, also a four-star. You know, he's still at FSU right now doing academics. I don't know what's next step for him. Carlos Becker, never been healthy, hasn't done a whole lot on the field. Did a little bit his freshman year that gave us a glimpse. Since then, it's been kind of meager. Jawan Williams, uh, <laughs> I don't know what to say. Nothing to go on. Josh Ball, currently at Marshall. Amir Russell, planning to leave the university. Kyle Myers, been a healthy contributor for him. 
Cedric Wood hasn't stayed healthy and hasn't contributed. Josh Brown hasn't done much. Four-star right Liz Frank injury kind of derailed his development early in his career. Yeah, and Brown is kind of that line of demarcation from the four-star to the three-star. Next guy up, you know, I like a lot. I think he's going to have a good year. Hasn't done a ton so far in an FSU uniform, but has shown moments. Emmett Rice. Wally Amy was a Juco. He's up next. Emmett's had injury issues too, though. Yeah. Mike Arnold is next. He was a prep school player, top prep school player in the country, but the fact that prep schools aren't near as prevalent as they once were, that doesn't really mean a whole lot anymore. Andrew Baselli, we've seen him quit and come back, currently is with the team. Logan Tyler, been a very good special teams contributor. Ricky Aguayo, been a very good special teams contributor. And the lowest-ranked player in that class who signed and enrolled was Gabe Neighbors, who's been a dependable piece, and he's lived up to it. He was a very low-ranked three-star, and he's – been a dependable guy for them you you know, he's exceeded the, the expectations yeah. of like a pup up sure in the same class and if we really want to have a discussion today the two that signed letters of intent who did not enroll no no don't don't do it should don't i do it, it off? don't do it yeah hit him with it shavar Emanuel and keon joiner hey newberg do you know what's the latest on those two <laughs> what's that do you know what the latest is on those two? Yeah, I actually have some heat for you guys on the Keon Joyner front. He recently graduated from a Kansas junior college in May, or, or he's set to graduate. So um, maybe four years later, we can get him on campus. He's going to join Brad Law and wherever he's at now. No, I but think you, Newberg's what? kidding, just for that. No, I'm not listening. kidding. Yeah, I'm not uh, about, the, not, he's uh, about him rejoining FSU. I think. Oh, yeah. Oh, I'm kidding. kidding. Yeah, I am. Yeah. He does <laughs> actually. No, I do it. But he did graduate from junior college. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me, because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates, like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash recommend today. Selling a little or a lot. Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage. Shopify is here to help you grow. Whether you're selling scented soap or offering outdoor outfits, Shopify helps you sell everywhere. From their all-in-one e-commerce platform to their in-person POS system. Wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify has got you covered. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout. 15% better on average compared to other other leading commerce platforms and sell more with less effort thanks to Shopify Magic, your AI-powered all-star. Shopify powers 10% of all e-commerce in the U.S. and Shopify is the global force behind Allbirds, Rothy's, and Brooklinen, and millions of other entrepreneurs of every size across 175 countries. Plus, Shopify's award-winning 24/7 help is there to support your success every step of the way. Because businesses that grow grow with Shopify. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash odyssey podcast all lowercase go to shopify.com slash odyssey podcast now to grow your business no matter what stage you're in shopify.com slash odyssey podcast um my two takeaways on this is is what i've been saying all along with out-of-state recruiting unless you're going to go grab the number one player in a in the state you're better off just staying within within the borders of florida georgia because 
you look in this class and you got Dontavis Jackson out of Texas and Kyle Myers out of Louisiana. Can't you now say like, there's a reason why those guys got out of those States. I mean, if, if you look at in the 2016 class, remember the debate back then was everybody was really happy because they were getting Dontavious Jackson. Um, fans were hyped. He was coming out of Texas. He was, he was six foot one, all this stuff. But at the same time, there was a lot of split decision on whether or not we wanted uh, Devin Bush out of, out of Hollywood, Florida. So in the same class, the FSU staff fell in love with the kid out of Texas. And remember, you remember the deal on Devin Bush, Chris. They were really one foot in, one foot out on Devin Bush. They offered him, they recruited him, but they never went all in on him. Yeah, but in the end, his father getting a job at Michigan, I don't know if any of it truly would have mattered. Like I said, Chris, they never went all in on him. Yeah, yeah, yeah. If FSU hired his dad, who is an FSU alum, who has a daughter who plays on the softball team, and a son who just went top 10 in the NFL draft, then yeah, he probably ended up wearing garnet and gold. And I'm, I'm, a lot of people get their, you know, what in a wad over. You can say panties on a. Uh, I didn't okay. want to, so okay. I did it. Get right. over it, Snow. <laughs> Do I need to come across this table? Yeah. Um. <laughs> just because, yeah. Yeah. But with, yeah, with Bush, FSU should have been all in. Like it, it was always such a weird deal. It was like a Cold War standoff. And it was more on FSU's side than his side. It wasn't like Ronnie Harrison. It was both parties doing it. The Bushes would have been receptive if FSU went all in. I remember them showing up at the state championship, trying to make that late push, going in the house, doing the best they could do in the last minutes. But it was sort of like a lot of hay was already in the barn, plus dad was already taken care of getting the Michigan gig, which I have no issue with dad getting the gig because he was a damn good high school coach who wanted to move up into the college ranks. And let's not act like FSU wouldn't do that with others. There's been others they've attempted to do that with, but the IEWP rule, which went into effect after Bush went to Michigan, has impacted their ability to do so. So let's not be high and mighty about this. It's not something that FSU would not do. They just weren't willing to do it in that case. Right. That was my my point to what you were saying Like when, yeah, but FSU didn't go all in. I mean, Devin Bush's dad was an All-American at FSU, a first-round draft pick. He coached high school, won a state championship at the high school level. Um, he really did everything to earn that next step to college. So it wasn't like Michigan just went above and beyond something FSU should have done. I mean, FSU very well have, could have done it. And if they would have known Bush would have been a first round draft pick and Dontavious would be the guy that he is, I guarantee you they would have offered Devin Bush's dad a job. I mean, especially at the time with what they had coaching linebackers. I mean, Devin Bush would have been a great addition to the off-field staff to go with Bill Miller at the time. You know, it would have probably balanced things out a little bit. Um, I would have been cool with him replacing Bill Miller. But also you look at Kyle Myers. I mean, he had, a, like I said, a, a typical three-star career. Um, and that's what you get. You know, there's oftentimes, unless it's a Cam Akers and unless it's a, a Marvin Wilson, there's often a, a reason why a kid like Dontavious Jackson's getting out of Texas or a kid like uh, Kyle Myers is getting out of Louisiana. And at the time, we we tend to just look past that and think like, oh, well, he's got some potential. And I think that is directly reflects kind of what we saw last year versus this year with the staff falling in love with players out of state and not landing those number one players in those states. So here we are this year with a with a more of a direct focus on Florida, Georgia, for good reason. Well, spinning it forward, like I, I do like that Florida State's focusing and that was what they initially said we've talked about this before on their podcast they wanted to focus on florida and georgia i think that's that's sensible that should be about where 80 percent 90 percent of your class comes from 
Uh, and if you're going to stray outside of those, you're going to color outside the lines, it's got to be for the blue chip guys, the guys that you feel 100% on. I, I'm not offended. Like, I don't think there's anything wrong with Dontavious Jackson taking him. And he was a top 150 recruit, and he's going to end up being a, what, a three-year starter by the time he leaves. And, and he's not the issue. There's there's plenty of other guys that you could point to that – and a lot of those guys were local. I mean, go back and look at the last well, two Well, but he's also a three-year starter because somebody's got to start. That's, but he's been he's – been, and he was an above average starter last year. He was the only above average starter they had. I'm saying, you know, you're already, you're, you know, I, that's fine. Semantics, but like, I'm, but I mean, if you well, three year start on a five win team, but go ahead. <laughs> I, I lean more on Sinone's side of this. So he's far from the issue. They, the, their recruiting issues and their success of evaluating players and developing players and pushing talent out to the next level. Jackson's not the face of that. If every player had the same developmental. Pro, pro, uh, path and progress as oh, I'm not saying he's the issue. I'm just saying this is games. this is but, one of the downfalls of recruiting out of state. Like you get guys out of places like Louisiana and Texas that those states are willing to give to you. Yeah, but look at all the. But look at well, that's true. I, I do agree with that. Generally speaking, I mean, they had to they had to scratch and pull guys like Cam Akers and Marvin Wilson out of those states. Those were but, really tough recruitments. There's a reason why you're getting guys out of like California, Texas, or, or Louisiana that are marginal players. There's a reason. That's just a, a, a sliver of the issue. I mean, look at the blue chip guys. Oh, I'm, not saying, the whole issue. From I'm not saying it's the whole issue yeah. at all. I'm just saying it's, it's a issue. It is. I, I agree. But it, I think it circles more down to, and I guess that's all part of it. When you look at the big picture, I the evaluation. I take away from 2016. That's all. That's okay. how this conversation started. I said, my takeaway from this 2016 class is that if you're going to spend time, money, resources out of state, you damn sure better be getting like one of the best players in that state. Otherwise, there's a reason why they're letting that kid out of the state. Right. And I, uh, you're right. That's that was my takeaway from the class. That's, that's it. That's extent. Like I said, in 2015, that, that's blue chip guys from in state that you're landing that didn't pan out too. That's why I think we circled back around to is it evaluation that previously happened or is it development? And I think we, we all kind of agree that it's primarily development, but, but as we apply it forward, what is on this current coaching staff to do? And, and does Willie get a pass to an extent after you kind of look back when out with the revisionist history of a full year, does he get any more leeway with you guys and, and how you evaluate Willie and what he did in year one, when you look at the cumulative talent that came out of the 2018 roster? Uh, that's a loaded question. Uh, it's not a simple yes questions. or no. No, I want a yes or no. And that's it. A majority, majority of issues with this draft class are not of Willie Taggart's making. Mm-hmm. The success on the field last season, he has a hand in. That plays into some of these guys' ability to be drafted or overvalued or valued more than they were. Fair. Josh? Does he get a pass? Um, yeah. Uh, well, he, he's still here. Does he get a pass? I don't know, but all the built up goodwill is gone for the most part. Does he get a pass? Yeah, he's not fired. So I guess he's get, he gets a pass. Um, it's his job to recruit talent in here that can come in and win immediately. Um, that's what he was billed to do. That's what he said he was going to do. So I think in the coming season, each year, he has less and less margin of error to win. But I don't think you can – I don't think Taggart – assumes um or deserves you know i don't know if we're talking percentages here i i would give him 20 percent of the blame brendan to answer your question 
I think that's, I'm kind of in the same boat as you, Josh, is where, you know, when, when I was doing research for the pre-draft process, the numbers were so alarming, I wasn't going to write anything on it. And then I decided to because it was just so striking, the reflection of what we saw on the field compared to what we saw, or they, they, they fit in line perfectly, what we saw on the field this past year. And a lot of that is on Willie, like the lack of organization, uh, the offense not being cohesive, having to overhaul major components of your staff after one year. Like that's stuff that falls ultimately up on the person in charge, the CEO of the program. And that, that's why you get paid $5 million a year is because you take the brunt of that blame. Those are issues that persisted because of organization and, and other issues of, of missing hires, whatnot. Uh, but when you don't have talent to hide some of those flaws or to execute the way you want to execute, like it, the, it just becomes more magnified. And I think that's really when, when you look at it and you always say X's and O's versus, you know, Jimmy's and Joe's, they didn't have talent last year. And I, and I think we missed, we thought they were going to be more talented. We thought it was going to be a simpler fix of, okay, these four or five star guys or some of these, you know, maybe two or three year starters that just have underperformed. It would just be a turn, turn, you know, turn the light switch on. And all of a sudden with the, with a new guy, you throw some fresh paint on it and, and get it good to go. And that's not what happened at all. Uh, and as we look at it, maybe that was a misevaluation. I could say on my own part of thinking they had more talent last year than, they actually did. I think the talent probably resided more with the younger guys. The lack of development over three or four years from the end of the Jimbo Fisher era after the national championship. To me, we knew it was bad. I think now in hindsight, it, it's stunning how bad it actually was. We could do a whole nother podcast probably off what I'm about to say, but are they getting any more talented? No, but yeah, no, I'm but, with Josh you know, on that. Are they getting but the more key talented? Is they need to be better at developing. Right, right. Yeah. And I think, well, go ahead, Josh. No, you can you can still develop guys. Um, I think it's just harder. You know, it makes it harder. It, you got to do it over a longer period of time um, than it is when you can get guys that can step in and immediately play. Um, but to you know, look, Willie Taggart in FSU won five games last year. Taggart's still here. Yes, he abs- he definitely gets a pass, it, deservingly so. And let's see what he does with the team this year. And I think uh, you know, outside of winning less than seven games. I think he gets a pass for that as well. And then the third year, I think it's really on him. And then that's when we get to see, okay, well, you know, you took these kind of lower ranked guys that didn't have as much potential. Year three, you, they still got to perform. Was there anything else that came away as, as shocking or telling from the pre-draft process and then the actual draft process results that, that was eye-opening? I think that was kind of it for me. It was <laughs> This just wasn't a really talented group. Yeah, they won five games. I wasn't surprised by anything that happened on on we, Friday, Saturday, or Sunday. We went in expecting two to three drafted, and that's how it played out. So, yeah. And the two we expected to be drafted were drafted. Just real quick, the only times FSU has had two or fewer drafted since 1980, this past class, 2016 they had two, and that was a year after they had a bunch Boat of guys. Yep. Yeah. Um, 2009 they only had one. 2002 which they is only, the transition year. Correct. And the 2002 was they had two guys trapped. And that was, again, a year after they had a boatload of guys go. And then 1987. So you're talking about five or six. Which was the beginning of the dynasty year. So what we're seeing right now is the again, beginning of the, the next dynasty. In two of those cases, 09 and 87, positives came after the fact. So mm-hmm. it's not like it's all gloom and doom because of this class being bad. I think it's more as a pivot point where we see the tide turn back to good development and guys – cashing in and the program being better because the guys are better and therefore those guys go on to the NFL or is this 
part of the downturn and it's going to continue to be a downturn. I think that that's what ultimately is the takeaway for me from this year. I didn't expect more from this year. Is it going to continue? Is it a trend or is it just a moment in time where you're now going to stick your foot in the ground and develop better football players in a team that's going to produce more NFL talent again? Right. I don't think I leave this conversation and covering the last few days with much of a different opinion other than maybe the floor was a lot lower last year than I had recognized. And clearly, I think we saw the results kind of reflect that uh, this was a long time coming. There was a lot of attrition and just lethargicness among the program for a couple of years that that manifested in in a lack of talent and a lack of development this past class. That, that's unwilling to get that turned around. Now, he inherits that mess. He inherited a bigger mess than we thought. I think he inherited a bigger mess than, than he thought. Uh, I know that he inherited a bigger mess than he thought. That explains somewhat the lack of success on the field last year, but yeah, this is on him now. Like you, you get a year of that or maybe two years of saying, okay, we got to rebuild it. Uh, but eventually you got to start recruiting at a higher level, which we'll talk about in the recruiting podcast uh, later on this evening uh, because they are doing some good things in the 2020 class, but that has to be better. The development has to be better uh, or, you know, the, the leeway or maybe the understanding that, that he inherited more of a mess than we thought uh, that only gets you so far. The run field results have to start showing as well. This, this is 2018. In my opinion, was a culmination of one coach not understanding what he had and what he inherited. Well, and then another coach that that was here before not caring about the product that much for a couple of years. And it kind of all led into what we saw, which was really a cluster. All right. Thanks for helping guys. Really, really dynamite. <laughs> yeah, I mean, Brandon, we've spent the last 45 minutes talking about how crappy this team is. I'm, I'm, I'm fully in agreement with you on all of it. All right. All right. All right. All right. We'll move <laughs> off of it. All right. <laughs> real, real quick. How do you guys digest NFL draft? Like do you watch it all weekend. Do you just kind of pay attention on your phone. Do you not care at all? I take in the first round entirely start to finish. I watch a majority of the second and third presuming schedule permits me to do so. Day three, I, I just can't I can't sit there through, what is it, uh, another 140 picks, roughly? It starts at noon and goes into like six yeah. or seven. I, I keep up with it on the phone. I'll watch it if it's on. But, um, yeah, no. I just. I, yeah, I keep up with it a little, a little bit in the first round, hardly in the second. Um, but throughout the day, I do continually check because like we had a couple team Tampa guys get drafted. Deontay Johnson out of Toledo went in the third round. Um, that was big. A lot of people thought he was going to be like a late round guy or not even. No, nah, he was such a stud. He just didn't have grades coming out of, uh, he would have gone to USF if he had grades. So he ended up at Toledo, almost came home, really missed his girlfriend. Uh, so glad that he stayed. I knew he was going to be a pro. And then uh, Amani Arorie, the corner out of Penn State, went in the fifth round, another Team Tampa guy. So I kind of keep tabs on that. Also, I like to have it on in the background in the third, fourth, fifth rounds when they're really just zooming through the picks. And just from like a covering recruiting perspective, it's like, oh, yeah, I remember that guy. Oh, yeah, I remember that guy. Like when Cowart went off the board? Yeah, well, yeah. I mean, I've seen Byron uh, recently. He's been around Team Tampa. So I kind of I know uh, been talking to him. But, yeah, guys like that seeing guys go like that, it, it always uh, brings you back to like, oh, I remember when I covered that guy type moments. You my remember his whole recruitment. Le- my wife was legitimately disgusted with me this weekend because my, my best friend, Again? Up, <laughs> more so than usual, this is grading on a, on a bit of a curve, but basically she left for a concert. 
on Friday evening, like around five o'clock, went out for dinner and stuff like that. And, and you know Chesney? Yes. Yeah. And, uh, and so my best friend who him and I have probably watched every single draft together, maybe aside from one the year Jameis was drafted and I had to go cover that in Tampa. We've watched together every year since middle school together. And, uh, and he comes over and we were playing video games and it's basically like a throwback to like middle school, except for now alcohol is involved too, which is fun. Uh, she left for the concert. We were sitting on sitting in the living room watching two TVs, one playing video games, one watching the draft. She came back like at 11 o'clock. We were in the exact same spot, hadn't moved. She asked herself, what the hell have I gotten myself into? She was like, it smelled really weird in the house, too. And there's just a lot of, a lot <laughs> of sweat. Newberg would burn some sage and make sure it smelled nice. He knows how to handle such situations. Mm-hmm. I know how to I, I watched the first round. I watched a little bit with Carter when Daniel Jones got drafted. He just started laughing at all the reactions from the <laughs> Giants fans. One of our really good family friends is a diehard Giants fan. I haven't actually spoken to him about that pick. I'm very interested in his take, but uh, I enjoy those moments. I, the draft is so funny because so many picks are like you know blasted for oh that's horrible, overvalued, and then they turn out well, and then oh that's that's the exact right pick, that's great, and you know, they turn out to be a bust. It's just sounds a lot it's like, like recruiting. Day. It's sort of a crapshoot. I was like, yeah, you guys have made your living basically off yeah. of evaluating something, and by the time it's time to actually see if you're right or wrong, no one cares four years yeah. later. Yeah, I it love is very draft. much a crapshoot. All right, so we spent a lot of time on the draft and talking about FSU not being very good last season. A lot of uh, advancing the dialogue really <laughs> in this podcast. Uh, but I did think it was interesting to see just just maybe uh, confirmation of what we already kind of thought with with this past season. So going to wrap this one up. This is the On the Bench podcast presented by Knowles 24-7. Guys, please remember to rate, review, subscribe. We're actually over 300 uh, five-star reviews on iTunes now because you guys have done just that. Really appreciate it. And apparently we're knocking on the door to, uh, to unseat. Uh, CBS is college football podcast this month for downloads. So it's like big boy things. So thank you very much for, uh, for investing in us and, and putting time into listening to this weird, wacky podcast. So thanks for listening, everyone, Josh, Chris, thanks for joining me. I don't know if I actually introduced any of us. <laughs> this is this episode real, real great production value. They but know who we are. Yeah. We'll, we'll be back. We'll be back later, hopefully this evening or first thing on Tuesday morning for a very recruiting centric podcast. So, so make sure to tune in then. Uh, we'll have that for our subscribers a little bit before we have it actually on the website. So make sure to subscribe, iTunes, Spotify, Google Podcasts, wherever you get podcasts from. Uh, have it up, and uh, hopefully there's no recruiting news that breaks before then. All right, guys, this is Brendan Sinone with the On the Bench podcast, and uh, we'll talk to you soon.